listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. When I first started on my journey, I thought the whole idea of sitting still was quite ridiculous. I couldn't understand why anybody would want to sit still when there's so much to do. You know, uh, I couldn't figure out why it was uh, uh, necessary to have kind of a ritualized process for, you know, uncovering stillness. What is stillness going to show me? These are all the kind of the thoughts that were racing through my head when I, uh, you know, first started. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, of course, being kind of the aggressive, in-your-face spiritual seeker, I, I went up to one of these people who was wearing a brown robe because I I'd heard that they were, they were top of the food chain. You know, if you're wearing a brown robe, that, that meant you were, you were kind of it in the Zen tradition. And I went up to this lady who looked incredibly crotchety, um, figuring that she'd, she'd have something to say. Or <laughs> and I said, so this meditation thing, well, why is this so important? And then her face kind of lit up. It went from kind of this, this kind of dour and sour look to something that was much more just enlivened. And she said, well, sitting meditation is the best way to meet your life. And I kind of thought about it. I said, well, aren't you meeting your life anyway? Of course you are. But you're usually running from it or running into it. And then she just kind of smiled and nodded. And I thought that was so rich and so profound. Even in my kind of hyper-egoic state, I thought it was such a neat way to just kind of, kind of stop me in my tracks. And she went on and just said, this work is about uncovering just this. And that's where I was kind of blown away. I had no idea what that meant at all. Just this. What could that possibly mean? Just this? Just what? This? It was so, uh, so off-putting, so huge, I couldn't quite make sense of it. And I learned about, you know, 10 years later, that, that was the whole point. This is not about making sense. Okay? It's not about something rational. It's not about something irrational. It's not about blind faith. As a matter of fact, you serve yourself and everyone in the sangha or the, the group that you're, you're with when you question. 
you don't attach to your question, when we attach to a question, it usually becomes doubt, okay? Uh, but instead of attaching, you just constantly question, you constantly wonder, and what gets revealed is just this, that which is before the want, that which is before the run, that which is before all things, paradoxically, that which is after the ending of all things, the ending of all wants, the ending of all avoidances. So sitting meditation, just to give everybody kind of a review, sitting meditation is about the most simple thing we could ever do. It's so simple that it takes a lifetime to learn. Because what you're doing is you're literally just letting go of all your typical moves. If your typical move, for instance, is to take something that arises in your life and put it somewhere, you know, just categorize it, quantify it, analyze, you know, uh, justify, rationalize, whatever it happens to be with your mind, and you tend to try to, you know, smush it into some, some box, we stop doing that. If it's to reject, if it's to doubt, if it's to push away, if it's to run, what do we do? Instead of doing that, we, now we face it, whatever it is. But I don't want to face it. I, the whole reason I'm coming to meditation is so I can escape all that, oop, wrong place. I hate to break it to you. But meditation is not a place to escape your life. Meditation is a place to totally face your life. And in the fearless facing of your life, what happens to all your afflictions? You start to see through them. You start to actually kind of get a sense of what a life might be like without the curse or the cross that you bear. Or crosses whatever they might be. We, f we simply, just simply sit still. So just to get everybody right back to basics, when you're sitting tonight, we'll sit for roughly around 30 or so minutes, okay? All I want you to do is watch your experience. Witness your experience, okay? Most of the time, our minds are revealing thoughts in rapid succession, okay? They are, they're, they're judgments, they're plans, they're memories, all in rapid succession that just kind of keep going and going and going and going and going and going. Our bodies are sending messages, oh, this is uncomfortable, or wow, this feels awesome. I know what he meant by just this now, you know, whatever. You know, all this stuff is going on in our body and in our mind. But instead, instead of trying to make meaning out of the experience, we just allow the experience. And we start having this very interesting sense of space between our thoughts, space between the memories, the judgments, the plans, the senses, 
where it's just sitting, where there's just stillness. And no matter what comes up, we start developing this really interesting skill, which is horror can arise and we can meet it as it is, just this, as it is, just this horror as it is. We can do the same with beauty. Oh, just this, as it is. As the earth is my witness, I will not move. And what's revealed? Well, you get to tell me, okay? You get to tell me. Actually, don't tell me. Just kind of, don't attach to it. Just kind of hang out with that space. You'll probably like it, but don't attach to it, okay? <laughs> okay? So when our meditation starts to reveal space between our thoughts, when we can actually create a certain spaciousness around our sense experience, our feelings, our emotional life, miraculous things start to unfold. We get a deeper sense, as I mentioned, of the idea of just this. As we begin paying more and more attention to what is going on internally, we start realizing that there is something paying attention to what is going on. We start watching our mind and we realize that our mind, like a monkey, is swinging from branch to branch to thought to thought to thought. And this activity begs this deeper questioning, which is, okay, well, what the heck is it that's doing the watching? What is it that is watching my mind? What is it that is watching my discomfort, watching my pain? What is it that is watching my tumult? What is that? What is it that can observe all the mess? What is it that can observe all the clarity? What is that? It's been described as all sorts of different things, but this wonder, the wonder that surrounds this spaciousness that starts to unfold as we just start slowing down, even in the midst of our speedy, busy lives, is quite miraculous. Sitting meditation begins to develop this, I, mean, I hate using this word, but I, I, some, I sometimes do and I hope it makes sense. It starts developing this muscle of space, of simple presence, of being, of awareness. And as we start developing this new uh, musculature, it begins to become central in the way we meet each day. Several of the 
the books that are out right now, some of them I think that are just just fabulous, really, really quite good on, you know, uh, awakening, enlightenment, and so forth. Uh, they talk a great deal. They, they can point to this space, but without a practice, it's very hard for that space to begin to, if you will, root. It's very hard for that muscle to begin to become strong enough to actually pull our typical or habitual patterning, which is locked, into something that's much more open. So this is why I believe that a meditative practice of some kind is really helpful in speeding up the process. It is not necessary. You don't have to. No one has to sit in meditation in order to uncover that which is true within them. That will occur automatically at your last breath. Now, doing it prior to that, which would be kind of the goal, uh, <laughs> I hope, uh, uh, might take a little bit of uh, working out. A spiritual workout is when we refuse to move. I'll say that again. A spiritual workout is when there is an absolute resolve, a commitment not to move, either in mind or in body. And, boy, that's going to bring up some really cool stuff. The, uh, the path usually goes in, in uh, <laughs> the path to awakening in three easy steps. Uh, I prattle on about this a lot, but it's essentially we start getting into this point of, of recognition that there is something more than just this, the habits that we've got, the way in which we live, it's, it's missed somehow. We start recognizing that there's more. We start maybe reading a few books. We go to a few Dharma talks. We go to a few lectures. We see a few films. We join a, a book club or two. And we start getting a sense, you know what? There is more. And I've been missing it. And so we get, we get to this point where it's almost like... Um, it's it's a it's kind of a cool stage of uh, of uh, um, spiritual materialism, where we gather up all sorts of stuff to help us on this journey. We get a brand new set of mala beads, or a beautiful new cross or star of David that we can wear on our neck, or we get a teacher, uh, or we get a brand new book. Maybe awaken this life. We get whatever it is. Whatever it is, we grab onto something uh, with the fervent belief that it's going to get us somewhere other than where we are. And this this makes a lot of sense, actually. This is, I mean, this is how none of you got to where you are right now, sitting in this room, without having really strong senses of who you think you are. Myself included. I mean, we got here because. There's a certain amount of uh, uh, vim and vinegar to us that wants to wants to get. Okay, that's a very useful quality down the road. Okay, it must, like everything else, be let go of eventually. But it's a very useful quality to have a little bit of fire, a little bit of recognition that I need. There's uh, there's more. There's more. And stealing yourself in that space of trying to find, literally becoming a seeker, uh, is very helpful at the, beginning, at the beginning stage. 
And then there's this really cool uh, little snap that, that kind of happens. And again, this is, I know, review for a lot of you, but just bear with. The, what happens is there, there comes this point of resistance where the recognition that's been going on, the uh, materialism, the spiritual materialism that's been going on, all starts to point in exactly the same direction. And it's a direction, it's the, it's the very direction none of us wants to go. And that direction is right into the core of our clinging. What is it that we cling to most? We take this awareness that was able to kind of watch our mind as, oh, there's my ego. Yes. Uh, oh, there's my mind going into memories or going into plans or judging. Oh, there's, we start doing that more and more and more and more. And we start recognizing kind of this, there's almost a sense of, Lech. this is kind of, gr- what, what the hell have I been doing? Mixed with, oh, but my ego, it's helped me so much. My mind has gotten me right here. And at that point, when we realize that the mind has gotten me right here, and it's, it's the last thing to let go of, major stuff happens. Most practitioners turn back at that point. Most. Because the goal for most people is to feel good. And now they're at the point where it's not about feeling good. It's actually about recognizing what's prior to feeling at all. It's about having a certain equanimity, a certain aplomb with either the pain or the pleasure of life. There's a, a, a chunk from one of my favorite bits of literature, Beowulf, and I wanted to, <laughs> who would have thought that a uh, little bit of ancient, uh, ancient Anglo literature would be woven into a, a Zen talk, but just bear with. Um, I think the, the allegory of, of Grendel, the, the big one, the monster, uh, who by the way wasn't nearly as bad as Grendel's mom, but still, uh, Grendel is really, it's really a metaphor for our, our darkness, our ego, okay? Now, ego is not always dark, so let, let, let me, the language can get really confusing here, but what I want to describe to you, I just love this passage. Um, we don't want to go into the lake of the self. We don't want to explore its depths. We don't want to go in that pool, will avoid it at all costs. And the thing that wants to avoid it is the thing that will get exposed if we go in. And that is our small self. I use that term interchangeably, small self, with mind and ego. Okay? They named the huge one Grendel. If he had a father... No one knew him, or whether there'd be others before these two, hidden evil before hidden evil. They live in secret places, 
windy cliffs, wolf dens, where water pours from the rocks, then runs underground, where mist steams like black clouds, and the groves of trees growing out over their lake are all covered with frozen spray, and wind down snake-like roots that reach as far as the water, and help keep it dark. At night, that lake burns like a torch. No one knows its bottom. No wisdom reaches such depths. A deer hunted through the woods by packs of hounds, a stag with great horns, though driven through the forest from faraway places, prefers to die on those shores, refuses to save its life in that water. It isn't far, nor is it a pleasant spot. When the wind stirs and storms, waves splash toward the sky, as dark as the air, as black as the rain, that the heavens weep. Are you ready? <laughs> because what this practice shows us at this point is get in the freaking lake. Get in there. But, but go. Okay, you know. It's scary. It's really scary to face our lives with deep, resonant courage. The kind of courage you had the day you were born. That radiance that has been covered up through years of habitual clinging. It's there. You have that strength. Every one of us does. But being able to get in there and explore your depths, that lake, which at night lights up like a torch, can you get in there fearlessly, knowing that whatever it is that lurks, is your own mind. Can you face your own mind? If so, yeah, this whole next chapter of your practice, which is coming to grips with that, coming to ungrips with that, I should say, where you begin to accept at a real radical level the darkness and you begin to work with it. You make friends with what is. You don't oppose. You participate fully, regardless of situation, from a place of depth, integrity, and ethical care. And in this space of cultivation, where we fearlessly face what is, no matter how dark, no matter how scary, when we're ready to go on to the next level, when we're really ready to jump, then we are in a space of release that allows us to, in a rather free-functioning way, meet our life from a place of that openness that we've learned. We've trained ourselves as sitters to appreciate just this. 
and in appreciating just this and being able to face just this as it is without trying to manipulate, fade, fix, or perfect, we get to a place of wide openness. We get to a place that is puzzlingly empty, yet simultaneously full. There aren't words for it. It's nothing that can be conceived. It's something that experience can point us toward. It's something that practice can reveal within us. But it's not something that anyone can give you because it is you. Kabir points this out in, uh, he calls it a simple purification. He says, student, do the simple purification. You know that the seed is inside the horse chestnut tree, and inside the seed there are horse chestnut blossoms, and the chestnuts, and the shade. So inside the human body there is the seed, and inside the seed there is the human body again. Fire, air, earth, water, and space, if you don't want the secret one, you can't have these either. Thinkers, listen. Tell me what you know of that is not inside the soul. Take a pitcher full of water and set it down on the water. Now it has water inside and water outside. We mustn't give it a name, lest silly people start talking again about the body and the soul. If you want the truth, I'll tell you the truth. Listen to the secret sound, the real sound, which is inside you. The one no one talks of speaks the secret sound to himself, and he's the one who has made it all. It's here we find ourselves in the house of God. And it's right where we're sitting. It's right where we're standing. It's right where we're eating. It's right where we're driving. It's with and from the person we're holding and the person we're rejecting equally. It's in our thoughts. It's in our feelings. It's in our emotions. It's just this. Just this. As a memory. memory. Mm -hmm. How am I not... Like, how, how is that different? Or, I'm, I'm very confused. With, sure. With, because the language gets all mixed up. It's technically, 
yeah. mind. It's technically, the technically you're using the mind in that moment, but you're using instead of judgment and categorization and uh, 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 all that all that qualification. It's, you're not using that combined with opinion. Okay, it's without opinion. It's just discriminating awareness. Okay, so for instance, we have this saying uh, that you may have heard. You know, at first, uh, when we're meditating, it's a mountain. And then as we get meditating even more and even more, we realize it's not a mountain, right? It's emptiness, okay? When we kind of get to that stage two I was talking about, it's emptiness. But then it becomes a mountain again. But it's step one plus step two. It's a mountain and it's not a mountain. We find that it's not a mountain, for instance, because it's emptiness and it's a mountain because I say it's a mountain it's it's within my awareness therefore it's within me I am that mountain there is no self ha huh, hallelujah right okay I did it I'm enlightened whoops what we do when we meditate and we use that discriminating categorization we're essentially using the smallest just the tiniest bit of mind to reflect on itself Okay, And what happens is that reflection, even the words of memory, judgment, and plan, you don't need to do that very long before the words even fall away and the recognition is there wordlessly. And that's the pure witness. Okay, So we start, we start with just a little bit of mind reflecting on itself because the mind, it does have what we call metacognition. It can, it can think about itself. It can think about its own thinking. Okay? But then what happens is, is we still keep doing that with intensity. That just drops away. That's a very beautiful, beautiful experience. Some of you may have had that before, you know, and what a practice does and a community does and a teacher and a teaching does is it gives, it gives that context. It, it, it holds. It's structure that actually begins to hold. But the structure itself ultimately is transcended. So... That's a great question, yeah. We, we, just like, you know, how uh, when I was reading uh, the, the poem, or poems, I was reading letters from the alphabet that I memorized when I was in, you know, the later parts of nursery school. But I wasn't calling them out in my head as I was reading them. They were just, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing we kind of do in meditation. We watch and we can label with uh, memory, memory, mem <laughs> memory, mem like that, mem oops, memory, mm -hmm. memory, judgment, right? Plan, plan, plan. <laughs> and what happens is that that discriminating awareness then gives way to something much deeper as we kind of back into and watch, watch that. So then if I, because when I started, I was constantly labeling the things. So then as the labels are starting to fall away and they're just becoming thoughts, then that's... That's the direction you want to go is to get away from the labeling. Yeah, yeah, it'll take care of itself. You don't have to. You don't have to really worry about it or, or you know, establish some type of uh, technique. You just give give your full awareness to your experience, and then pretty soon you'll be aware of the labeler. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Um, during all this practice that I've been doing, I've sort of been arguing with myself about what I should and shouldn't do, mm -hmm. obviously. And I'm starting to wonder if there is a fine line between totally enjoying your life and things that you like to do and indulging the ego. Yeah, well, let's go, let's first start with the argument. Who's arguing with whom? Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. We all do it. Every one of, if you've ever had that, you know, that, that phrase go off in your head where it's like, you know, oh, God, I just can't even bear to be in my own skin today. Well, who? Whose skin and who's having trouble? <laughs> Schizoid, you know? <laughs> How does that work? Um, there is... There is the, the only resistance or fight that we will be having within comes from ego acting out, not wanting to go into the lake. No matter what the hounds look like, it ain't going, you know? And so any resistance that we feel always comes from that. So that fight, just so you know, is, is a little kind of, woo, here we go, that's it. That's, that's the, or sometimes we call it the skin of ego. You can feel it right there whenever there's resistance. At the same time, there is nothing about this practice that is about not enjoying your life. It's about enjoying it to its core. Every breath of it. Sucking the marrow out of life's bones. I mean, it is filled with passion and fire and it burns bright. It is not about disappearing. It's not about no self as in, oh, I'm not even here. Nothing affects me except my wife. And she can really piss me off. But other than that, I am awake. You know? Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not about that. Yeah, so I guess my ego is telling me that I'm not allowed to enjoy something. You're right, because then guess what the ego doesn't have to do? doesn't have to keep playing. As long as the ego can convince you that this practice is evil. <laughs> right? As long, as long as ego can like do that little whisper thing, it's usually in a, a whisper, it's like, hey, hey, guess what? You're going down a path where you are never, ever going to be able to enjoy the carnal pleasures of life ever again. Are you ready for that? Are you, because you know that's what's going to happen. Right? And that's exactly, exactly the lie that the ego wants you to believe because its subtext in that dialogue is, oh my God, I'm about to lose a place of dominance. And I'll be damned if I'm going to lose that place of do dominance. Right? I'm not, mo mm -mm. Uh, let's see, how can I do this? It's, it's as if, Forgive me, I don't mean to besmirch this seat with politics, but I'm watching the Clintonistas right now in an amazing space because it's like, you know, uh, and I have nothing against Hillary Clinton. 
really I don't but watching where the election is going and where it's pointing toward and then the reactivity on the part of uh, Ms. Clinton and her, and her uh, group has been fascinating because that's exactly the activity that the ego does when it knows it's gonna lose. It'll change the math. It'll move the goalposts. But, 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 right, exactly. Now, if I offended any of you, good, I guess. <laughs> I think that's my job. But it's just, it's fascinating. It's, it's an amazing, amazing corollary. It's, it, you can see, I mean, politics is such an amazing laboratory for egos anyway. Small selves abound in the world of politics, and every once in a while we see a bigger self show up through others in politics. It happens, but it's, it's not very noticeable. It's not very noticeable. Every once in a while it kind of happens, though. Very welcome. <laughs> Big Dave, yes. If I have it, right. Up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you have what? If, I, if, if I'm not misunderstanding the teaching. Well, let's hope you are. It's not about understanding. Well, this is where we're at. Dance with me. Keep dancing. One strives for enlightenment. Uh-huh. And one totally accepts what is. Yes. These can sometimes seem to be contradictory. Yeah. Yeah, the, the conundrum there is that we, we I, I have been articulating to you that you, you must have a certain degree of strive in there and that, that you hit that space of awakening and then where does the strive go? Is that kind of your question or is it how do you, I mean essentially what happens is <laughs> strive to your heart's content and realize that it will get you nowhere. And that nowhere meets up with a no one, and awakening occurs. And guess what? There's no striving there. I can meditate and sometimes feel, not think, I think, that, well, if this is it, then this is it. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Right, and then when you come out, when the bell rings, suddenly you're then once again, um, you know, craving something, or you're once again pissed off at a colleague, or you're once again, it's like you get you get these little, it's like a goose and go or something in in spiritual parlance. You you have a moment, and then that moment then just fades into the background, and you're right back to uh, whatever you were stuck with. Is that no? No, it's more, um, I mean, my best level of spiritual development yeah. is not what you're telling me I can achieve. 
your best level of spiritual attainment thus far is not where I'm pointing. Correct. Excellent. That's right, exactly. We have more work to do, don't we? So, should I be working for it? <laughs> or should I just say, look, I'm, I'm t I'm, I know I'm there, even though I don't know it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, for those of you that are new, this has got to be really fun. <laughs> You're, you're already there. You will hear me say that 10,000 more times maybe before it's realized. Okay? That realization is key. It's key. Otherwise, I am just, you are blind and I'm just describing the color red. How do you describe the color red? How do you understand the color red if you can't see? It's something that reveals itself from deep within, as the poets say. And it, it arises out of stillness, just like all other things. But that's just what arises out of stillness is just a pointer to what's still. And we begin to knit these things together in a way that allows our life to expand. Our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue, our skin, every sense becomes enlivened with something that's much broader than we never had before. And that's the work. And that happens moment after moment after moment. And as our center of gravity goes from here into something much bigger, it just kind of happens. We then spontaneously become an appropriate response to whatever is arising in the world and in our lives or in the lives of others. We become, we become helpful participants who are passionate. Are you, are you ready? All right, well, let's keep going. I'll see you next week. Yeah? <laughs> Thank you for coming.